of you. Maybe the rest will be coming. <laughs> Waking up. <clears throat> Mark Twain once spoke a, a powerful truth. Would that we heard it. He said, there's no such thing as a bad short sermon. <laughs> I believe that is the truth. <clears throat> so I'm not going to go long. Uh, I'm going to be around a while. We did start moving up here last week or last couple of weeks and we spent our first night here last night, but I got to go back to Fort Mill uh, Tuesday. And uh, we have a round table we do every year for Christian leaders and uh but after that, I'll be back up here for a while, and I'm planning to be here a whole lot more, uh, as much as I can. And uh, we've got some work to do. Okay, now I'm going to be talking about our prophetic roots, and there's a reason for it. One thing, I don't know of any other ministry anywhere in the world or that has the kind of prophetic roots that we have right here, Moravian Falls. And now, it, to a degree, Charlotte also, but many of the prophetic things that happened that led us up here, it was about here, Moravian Falls. And there is supposed to be a connection, a deep connection to the Moravians. Not the institution, but to those who were, you know, in part of the vision, led the Moravian movement for a while. And, uh, but we're not going to be, a, a, well, let me put it this way. I think any, any one that, that uh, or any truth, any doctrine, anything, any movement that, becomes an institution has ceased to be a movement. Okay? We're told in Hebrews, Jesus suffered outside the gate. Let us therefore go to him outside the gate. When a truth gets institutionalized, it gets corrupted. I don't know of an example where that's not true. Now that core truth may remain Oh, I'm making a mess up here. Sorry, but <laughs> okay. But um, uh, truth may remain a core doctrine uh, of the movement, of the denomination or institution. But I think there are ways that you can ha have the truth memorized and not have it in your heart. It's not by believing our minds but by believing in our hearts that it results in righteousness. And it's not just knowing the truth, it's living it that we've got to do. And I think once 
any truth gets institutionalized. Now, this is scientific truth. It goes, I think, across the board, but it is also religious. I believe it is a religious principle or a spiritual principle that this happens. We don't want to become an institution. Okay? I've, a few years ago, I decided to tour some of our Morningstar churches because we have them all over the place now. And I hadn't even, I didn't even know many of them. And there was a common denominator to all those churches. You know what it was? None of them were alike. I could not identify anything that made them Morningstar. Not a thing. Now, well, there were a lot of things. There was a devotion to worship, to the prophetic and things like that. But that's not Morningstar. That's body of Christ. That's New Testament. Uh, so I, every one of them was very different. I didn't think there were any common distinctions. Now, if we serve a God who so loves diversity, and I'm not talking about in the more popular modern since I'm talking about difference that he made every snowflake different that he made every one of us different why is the church so boringly uniform why are meetings so boringly uniform I don't believe there should be two meetings that are alike you know and for any church to be boring to any for any church service to be boring, to me, that's the greatest insult. We do not serve a boring God. Okay? The true Christian life is the greatest adventure you could ever live. It doesn't get it any more exciting than that. But I, I think, you know, many times great movements get institutionalized and they lose the power of that truth. Okay, there's going to be a movement at the end of this age that doesn't quit moving. We want to be a part of it. <clears throat> we would never claim to be it, but we want to be our part. We want to, you know, be that. I remember a few years ago, uh, a friend and I were doing a round-the-world trip speaking at different conferences, trying to go in the same direction to go around the world and come back home. And, uh, but each, we did this two years in a row and each year we had a theme because we had so many hours on airplanes and all that we wanted to discuss this theme. And the Lord really put something in my heart both those years about our theme. And one of them was, what would the perfect church be like? Have you ever thought of that? Would you do me a favor and think about it and list the characteristics that you believe the perfect church would have? Okay, we'd all have different things. We need different things. We don't need to all have the same thing. But, you know, one thing that to me would be at the top is it would be a church that the Lord built, not men. Yeah. 
It's my opinion, most are built by men with really good intentions and really seeking to do it for the Lord. That doesn't mean it was. And, uh, you know, the Lord will bless many things he will not inhabit. He'll visit many places he won't inhabit. We've had visitations that were spectacular, but he didn't say. You know, his, to me, the perfect church is going to be one he built his way. He built it for people, not, I mean, not for people, but for himself. And those who built it, built it for him. Not just, what would a church look like that was built entirely to draw the Lord, to attract the Lord, not just to attract people? What would that church be like? And how can we get that vision of what he wants to live in? The temple's for the Lord, not the people. The people are supposed to be the temple. But if you encounter the Lord, it's not going to be boring. Okay? Now, I believe every gathering should be an encounter with the Lord. And we've had a couple of, I remember one conference we had, we got together and prayed that, that the Lord would do something, that he would show up in such a way that we'd have the best worship we ever had, have the best preaching, the best prophetic, the best miracles of healing, everything that we had ever had, ever experienced. But nobody would leave talking about those things, but that they would leave talking about the Lord. Now, some of you may have been in that meeting. And I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have even thought of it. But he appeared, a pillar of cloud appeared right in the middle of the stage at the last meeting. And nobody left talking about anything but the Lord was there. We saw, we encountered the Lord. Now, I think that's the way every meeting is supposed to be. I don't believe we're going to get there in a few weeks. I don't believe we're going to get there maybe in a few months. We're going to get there. Okay, we're not going to quit until the Lord has a place to dwell. He has a place to lay his head where he's going to be the head. Okay? Now, <clears throat> so I think we have a lot of things. I think through all the prophetic things that were foretold and came to pass like they were foretold, gave us indications of what the Lord wants. So first and foremost to me is something of that level, that nature where we know that was God. Nobody could have made that happen. No man could have done that. Okay. And there's still more. There's much more to come. Um, but we have prophetic roots and we want to be connected to those roots, continue to grow in those areas, but we're looking for much more. We're looking for much more. Okay, now, <clears throat> every ch church is supposed to be unique. And I believe this church is supposed to be unique. I don't believe you're supposed to be like any other church, Morningstar or, or not. You're you. 
God wants to do something unique here. He makes us all different. And, uh, and we want to be open to the difference. Now, um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now, I actually planted this church. It didn't exist until we started it over Jubilee Junction. And we've had a number of different leaders who've all built, I believe, watered seeds that have grown. And, and I'm impressed by the foundation that is here, the, the good foundation. I believe it is still just a foundation. I think we've got to build upon it. But uh, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, I want to talk to you about a few other things, though, that I think we're going to be entering into. Change. Now, that word scares most people, even though they will applaud it, amen it, everything. <laughs> but when it comes time to change them, we don't like it. I'm talking that's a human trait. But if we can't change, we're an old wineskin. We don't want to be an old wineskin. Okay? Change is hard, no doubt about it. It's always hard. But I think if the Lord's doing the changing, it'll always be worth it. And we'll be excited and we'll be a little more, bit more flexible, less religious, maybe a lot of things, uh, but we'll be changed. Now, here's scripture in Jeremiah 48. It says, Moab has been at ease since his youth. He has also been undisturbed on his lees. Neither has he been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. Therefore, he retains his flavor, and his aroma has not changed. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall send to him those who tip vessels, and they will tip him over, and they will empty his vessels and shatter his jars. That doesn't sound good. You know, you can fall on the rock and be broken, or it will fall on you and crush you in the powder. There's an easier way to change. Let's do it the easy way. My philosophy's always been, no pain, no pain. I want as little pain as possible. Okay. But admit there's going to be some. There always is uh, with change. Now, he talks about <clears throat> tipping the vessels over or how Moab had been at ease for so long, his flavor had not changed. Now, that's how they purified wine in those days. They would pour it into a vessel, let it settle, and the impurities would, you know, fall to the bottom, and then they would pour it into another vessel. And let it set again, and what impurities had been left over, they would settle. So the more it got poured into a new vessel, the more pure it was. And the Lord tends to do that. That, by the way, is why I never get upset 
It never bothers me when someone leaves our church and goes to another one. I'm just saying they need the change. And, you know, we don't want to be possessive of people. You know, they're the Lord's people. We want him free to move them wherever the Holy Spirit needs them. Okay. And it is one of the things that we've been given, and you've probably experienced a lot of being a part of Morningstar, you know, the saying, it came to pass. Well, a lot of people come to pass. They just pass through. They get what they need, and then they move on. But if you try to keep them, when the Holy Spirit's trying to move them, it's going to cause a problem. And the more control or manipulation or whatever you use to keep them, the worse it's going to be. So to me, we always want the Holy Spirit free and the people to feel that freedom. For the Holy Spirit to lead them to where they feel they're supposed to be. And, um, but we know, you know, anytime that wine was poured into another vessel, there was commotion. It was unsettling. There was disturbance. And not all disturbance is bad. A lot of it's purifying us. A lot of this disturbance going on in our country. I believe it's manifesting a lot of things that are there. And I think in due time, some of these things are going to get dealt with, Lord willing. But uh, let me just share a couple of other things. Now, <clears throat> I'm not trying to pick on you. I think I could share this in a Fort Mill congregation or any other congregation. Matter of fact, I have. Uh, still applies. And it's one of those things that always applies. Okay. Amos 5. He says, Amos prophesies, do not resort to Bethel, do not come to Gilgal, nor cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal will certainly go into captivity and Bethel will come to trouble. Seek the Lord that you may live. Now, all these places were places where Israel had had an encounter with the Lord. And he's saying, don't keep looking back to where you met him before. Don't look back. All of these will go into captivity. I think we could spiritually see that. That's where the movements stop moving when they keep start looking back. Yeah, that was a great visitation. It was a wonderful time. We want to always remember Israel was required to recount their history every year. And there is something wonderful about doing that, that we need, but we want to have a vision that's forward, not backwards. We want to seek the Lord, not just encounters and not just the places where he moved in the past. We want a present, you know, visitation. We've got to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's present tense. He didn't say every word that proceeded, but the words that proceed from the mouth of God. And that's what we want. We want a continually hearing thing. Now, I think we need to at time, from time to time, we do review our prophetic roots, which are, were encounters with God. Things he did that we believe cannot be blamed on men, that it was beyond us to pull these things off or anyone.
And, uh, and we want to remember that and remember the message that came with it and continue to build on those things or whatever. But we're seeking a present vision and we're seeking a future vision. <clears throat> now, one thing we badly need are those who understand the times. You know, I have many prophetic words that took over 30 years to get fulfilled. And when I got them, I thought this is going to happen really quick. <laughs> Usually because of how spectacular I got it, whatever, I just assumed this is, you know. But the Lord never gave me a time. Still only a couple of times now have I received a timing from the Lord for something he showed me. Now, I feel good about that. Just 30 years is nothing. I mean, they're biblical prophets that had, their prophecies took a thousand years, hundreds of years. Some of them prophesied way back then and they still haven't come to pass, yet to come to pass. So, you know, it's good to have timing though. I think we're coming to the time when we need timing on some things. There are some, the world is getting incredibly more dangerous more fragile. The foundations are, are shaking. And we need to hear specific words with specific timing. Well, I'm going to just give you a brief how you get that. It's called the Sons of Issachar anointing. And it says in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, you probably all heard of it. And the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do, they didn't just have the time and they had the wisdom of what to do about this. Their chiefs were 200, et cetera. Well, we need those spiritual sons of Issachar now. You want to know how to get it? Genesis 49. Issachar is a strong donkey. Now, he often, if this were written literally, that would be a different word. I'm just saying. <laughs> it says, lying down between the sheepfolds, when he saw that a resting place was good and the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. Shoulders speak of authority. The government rests upon his shoulder. Well, the sons of Issachar bowed their shoulders. They used their authority to bear burdens and become slaves. That's how you get that. The Lord can't trust it with anyone else. It's called becoming a bondservant. And you know, there are very few Christians that are disciples. Do you know that? Very few. If there were one or two in this group, that would be amazing. Now it was that way in the Lord's day. Multitudes followed him, but there were only a handful that were disciples. But the great commission was to make disciples, not converts. Now disciples, uh, you read the conditions Jesus gave to be his disciple, you would think right away, I may not know one. It's that serious. And we want to go over that. We want to be disciples. 
And one thing, a disciple lived to learn of their master. It's the first thing they thought of in the morning, last thing at night, and all day long in between, learning from their master. And to be the disciple of any of the great teachers of Israel required that. They wanted to be like their master and do the works that he did. And I tell you, the true disciples, that is what consumes them day and night. They wake up thinking, I've got to learn of my master today. I've got to become more like him today. And that's what we want to do. And I believe it can become infectious if there is almost nothing in this world more contagious than someone getting closer to God. It is contagious, and everybody will want it. By the way, that's why I bump hands. It's not just because of COVID. I was trying to do it before COVID, but I thought that's a good chance for me to, I'm going to bump hands because I've watched many people sneeze and then want to shake my hand. <laughs> and, and I was saying, you know, now I'm just saying that may not be good, may not be right, but that's why I do. But we want something that's more contagious than COVID. That's the love of God. And it's, you cannot know God without loving him more. And that's our number one job description, even more than being disciples, but it's why you're a disciple. Our number one job description as a human being is to love God above all. Number one. You can't do number two, which is the loving one another, unless you do the first one right. So that's got to be our highest priority. And you cannot learn anything about him as a disciple without loving him more because God is love. If you're really learning of God, you're going to love him more. And you, then you're automatically going to love people more because they're his people. And he said, as we treat the least of his, he takes us the way we treat him. I'm just saying. Okay? So, by the way, you cannot understand the book of Revelation without being a bond servant. And there are very few Christians that are bond servants. A bond servant doesn't wake up and say, man, nice day. I wonder what I'm going to do today. bond servant wakes up, Lord, thank you for this great day. What would you have me to do? Because your time is not your own. You, you belong to another. You don't get a big check in the mail and say, man, I'm going to buy this boat I wanted or whatever. No, it's master. Why? What do you want me to do with your money? And that's a reality. That's got to be a reality. Many people have the doctrine. I think a tiny few live the reality. And that's being part of the sons of Isaac or becoming that slave. Okay? But uh, there are a couple of things, metaphors about the church that I think we are called to see, which you don't see the church being almost anywhere. We're called to be a city. What does that mean? How do we become a city? And we're called to be an army. 
Okay, I'm just saying. There's a lot to say about those, but uh, I think as much as we may have a vision for being these things, it's still going to be hard to go through the changes. And um, get ready for hard. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. But uh, I wanted to take a little time now to uh, just do some Q&A, a little bit of Q&A uh, from you. Just anything you want to ask. Free will of man versus sovereignty of God. We can do that if you want to start with the easy ones. <laughs> Pardon? What were some of the prophetic? Oh, what were some of the prophetic beginnings um, that happened? You know, like uh, maybe with Bob. Yeah, I don't even want to start on that right now, but that's a good question, and that's the next sermon. We're going to begin and get in some detail as it reveals purpose. But uh, we do have also. Uh, Things that I think are, we need to start thinking about, like, um, you know, we, we've had a foundation, an impartation into who we are from some of the great people that have served the Lord, I think, in our time. And one of them was Earl Roberts, who laid hands on me and prayed for me to have a mantle of education, his mantle. We were able to spend a whole day with him just before, just a few months before he died. And he pr prayed for me to have two things. Uh, but one of them was that mantle of education. What does that mean? How's that going to apply? But I just, it's one of the things we need to think about. Um, other things were we got mantles. We got clear direction through the prophetic roots. And I will get into them in details but it's just too big to start now. Any other questions? If not, we'll go to answers. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm not too familiar with this prophecy, but I know that Bob Jones made a prophecy that there would be a time when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, that that would be a prophetic time. And I'm just wondering if you could, one of the pastors of this church could please explain that. Yeah, I heard him talk about that a number of times. And uh, he said, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl again, it would be a sign that the chief apostles are going to emerge and are start emerging. And um, I've heard many other people apply other things to that prophecy, but I never heard Bob say those other things. But it's like the real apostolic is going to appear, is going to emerge. He called them the chief apostles. But then he prophesied the Panthers were going to win the Super Bowl. So we got a while to wait for that one to come to pass. 
<laughs> Who knows? I believe the Lord could do it next year. That would be a sign that nobody would doubt. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you share with us any of the internal changes that you're foreseeing today, internal in the church? Internal in this church? Yes, sir. Well, I'm, you know, same thing I felt last time I was here. There's, a, I think there is a lot of strength here. I think a lot that has been built here has been built by the Lord, and he plans to build on it. Uh, and that's always people. There are people here that I think are, are strong, have vision, and I think... You know, I think there's a real good foundation. I think Dave's done a great job. We left him in that job longer than anybody, I think, and didn't mean to, but he's forgiven us. <laughs> no, but uh, but I think all of the ones who led this church for a time imparted something that I think is still here. That tells me the Lord did that through them. So, you know, and we're going to, we want to take our time and examine them and really get clarity about what the Lord is building and build with him anything going forward. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, there's a lady over here. Her brother needs to lose a little weight, so go from one side to the other. <laughs> Okay, I hope I asked this well. Um, I just would love to hear a little about, okay, as God releases the fire over the saints to run with the pioneer spirit to do what needs to happen, how does one go from understanding the rest versus the fire and running zeal? So there are two ends, you know, the resting and God and knowing that you've, you're, you're graced and where you're at is always where you need to be because the Lord's already placed you there to be exactly where you need to be. And there's the other end of the fire he gives you to run to obtain it with the violent take it by force. How yeah, do the two mirror that. and how do you obtain a knowing when is what time? Because there's like two worlds in that, if that makes any sense. Okay, yeah, I've got it. Okay, she's talking about the contrast between resting in the Lord and running with the Lord. You know, and the times we do need to uh, move and sometimes pack up and move quick. Uh, I think one thing, uh, you know, the truth is life if it's on time. You know, there were times for Israel to march and time for them to park and just sit and wait. And sometimes for a long time, Lord wanted to do things internally. I think that's why you, we really need the sons of Issachar anointing to know the times. And uh, if you're trying to rest when God's picked up and moving on, you're deceived. You're deceived. And if you're trying to move on when God's saying, no, sit still, let me do some things in you or whatever, you're deceived. So timing is critical. We're called to follow a person not just doctrines, like, like either rest or whatever. And there are many like that that seem to contradict, but they're counterpoints to each other, and they're both true in their time. Yeah. And they can both be false in their time. Yeah. 
I remember I was seven years one time when I'd drawn aside just to seek the Lord and and uh, I was just coming out of that. And the Lord had just shown me what I needed to do and given me a dramatic revelation of, of that. And everywhere I went, it seemed like, not everywhere, some places, they were just going the opposite. They'd been running hard and the Lord was telling them to rest. But then they thought they should tell me to rest too. I said, no, I, you know, I'm just coming out of that. You probably are, but I'm, that's not what I'm called. Uh, you can't believe some of the people that tried to impose on me, you need to go and rest like we're going to do. And that was out of time. The person sitting next to you, God may be doing something the opposite. We can't keep imposing what God's doing with us on everybody else. It doesn't work that way. Why did he have a different word for all seven of those churches in the book of Revelation? They existed at the same time in the same general region, but they each needed a different word. We got to quit trying to take the same canned word to the whole body of Christ. I'm just saying. Can you run all the way over there? Come on, faster, faster. <laughs> hey, Rick. I'm Jill. I do hospitality. Um, are we going to have a chance to meet with you to just discuss practical things like downstairs? And in my head, I'm thinking, don't buy any uh, tables for the classrooms. We have plenty, and I just want to get round ones. So we have that in the fellowship hall, things like that. Yeah. Answer that question is yes. We will have time to meet a bit. Good I think this lady here, that was too easy. <laughs> Which one of your writings or your books correlates to what's happening right now? Which one of them is of your writings or your books correlates to what's going on right now? Well, um, I think the Final Quest series, I think all of those are. I started just a few years ago reading them again every year, first of the year. I had not read them before. I had not even read the Final Quest before. I wrote it in chapters that was put in a thing, and people put it together, and I never read the whole thing through. When I read it, I was so convicted. I, I kept, and, um, but I was convicted that I wasn't reading it every year. I said, I need this over and over. It's happening now. I think it was happening when I got it, but it's happening more now. Okay. And, but the other two, the uh, path in the valley, I think the path is perhaps even more for right now and the valley. Those are in the same genre. I wrote them later. So I think those are the prophetic ones are especially that way. Well, thank you. She agrees, so we got it. We got one. Okay, thanks. Okay. I 
just want to know how do you feel about harp and bowl in the church? I think it's great. Uh, can we have it? <laughs> can you have it? Can we have it here? <laughs> of course. Okay. Uh, but it's not the only model for intercession or, and worship. So I, th I think the model we have in Charlotte or in Fort Mills is different from what they have in Kansas City and different. Place, but it, it is something that can usually get people started. But I think you've got to be flexible and let the Lord, yeah. let it be your harp and bowl, not just, um, okay. Okay. Okay, you can ask. Hi, my name's Regina. I grew up in this area, but I live in Columbia, South Carolina, but I'm up here a lot. Um, I had a question regarding um, reflection of looking at the fivefold in scripture as a model for continuing to flesh out what's going on here. The fivefold is trying Apostles, to Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. Oh yeah, I it's know. Looked I'm at familiar as a structure with what of, it is. of church government. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. As far as um, some people look to that as a model for how the Lord is going to flesh out um, what's going on in a body of believers, as far as it becoming an equipping. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it is a model. Okay. I, I just was curious what your thoughts were regarding looking toward that and to that for this body of believers. Or... Well, I think it's true for every body of believers, to be honest. It's a procedure that the Lord uses. It's you know, his ministries, the way he uses ministries. But we've been talking about this since I've been a Christian, which is over 50 years. I don't know anywhere that it's really being done, except a little bit in some areas. And uh, to me, some of the great preachers that we look at and say, that guy's an apostle or a prophet or something, well, may get prophetic revelation, but to really be one of those ministries, you've got to be equipping others to do what you're doing. You've got to be reproducing. And that's hardly going on anywhere. Now it is, it is going on in some place more than others, but it, I think by the end, we've got to see that happen. But it, that doesn't mean every church is going to have an apostle and a prophet and a, everything, but you need to have ministry from those to be equipped from those who come in. Um, you may have it, that's why you have many traveling ministries. But I don't think, to me, Bob's prophecy about the chiefs winning the Super Bowl, the, that's when the chief apostles are really going to be released. You know, we've had a huge apostolic movement, but, you know, it was, I know the guys well who started it and ran to me, it, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's like you could throw a rock in any crowd and you'd hit an apostle. <laughs> if you miss an apostle, you'd hit Elijah. You know, uh, have you ever, just one thought, have you ever talked to a satanic worshiper? Aren't they all high priests? Have you ever met an usher in the Satanic Church? Don't they have ushers? <laughs> or 
I mean, you know, there's something about the Lord commended the church in Ephesus for putting to the test those who called themselves apostles, but were not. And anytime we allow a, anything like that to be uh, made so cheap, in my opinion, made cheap, not, not measure up to the biblical stature, then we're allowing a devaluation of our spiritual currency. And I think we're also in some way chasing the Holy Spirit away. Uh, you know, Jezebel called herself a prophetess. Beware of anyone who's demanding to be recognized by a certain title or something like that. There's something wrong with that right up front. Now they may be true. They may be good. They just may be immature. You know, Paul the Apostle was really immature. He started out saying, I'm not inferior to the most eminent apostles. That sounds pretty arrogant at that time. And then he goes on, he gets a little more humble. And he says, I'm the least of the apostles. And then he goes on and says, I'm the least of the saints. And then his, one of his last letters, he says, I'm the greatest of sinners. Do you see a progression there? And I, I, that's why I, I bear with people who say, call themselves anything. And, they, and then I pray for this to be true for them. But I'm not going to recognize them at that time. But there is something where you'll, I think, recognize the real by their humility, not seeking recognition of men. Listen, if you know God has sent you, you don't care what anybody in the world thinks of you. That isn't going to be a factor. You're not going to be trying to get people to follow you or whatever. You know God has you. Good questions. I shouldn't have spent so much time preaching. Go ahead. I was just wondering, it seems to me that the greatest exercise of the body's gifts happens not when everything's focused at the front, but when, like this prayer we did today, and the most healings I think that we've had here in this fellowship over the 24 years I've been here has been when we gathered in groups and prayed for one another. And then we got testimony the next week. There were like 10 people that were healed. But when it's always, the only real stuff happens at the front. I agree. I, I think I that's agree. a problem. Okay. Does anyone disagree with that? Yeah, I think the, our whole church model now has too much centered up here. And that can be good to get started, but you can't stay there. you got to move on. There's, and then you can always go back to that occasionally, to that form. It can be a good form to help get you going, but it can't be a permanent form. One more. Make it a good one. <laughs> I've been made aware that the church, um, even pastors, like 50% of them are in pornography themselves. What do you think about how can we deal with this? It's not good. Um, I'm concerned. <laughs> it's a little concern. 
<laughs> but uh, <clears throat> stop. <laughs> you know, really, uh, guess what? It's just as much women as men. It is. Um, it is a terrible thing. They, uh, but I think it's bigger. About the best we can do is tell stop. The Lord has to bring conviction to your heart. Then he has to give you a vision. You'll never, you, you'll never have the vision you should have prophetically if that's something that's got a hook in you. Deliverance may help some. Counseling. I just counseled them. Don't <laughs> quit. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you need, demon won't accept your counsel. Sometimes it does need deliverance. Anything gets hold, but I always look at it as deep as the devil can get a hold of somebody. Once he's gotten out, that's how deep the Lord can fill you. And Remember David? Remember the uh, Jubasites who uh, mocked him when he came to take over Jerusalem? They said, even the blind and the cripple are going to be able to repel you. And he not only conquered it, but he made that his stronghold. I think the thing that can be the biggest thing that is mocking you that you can't deal with. It's just been a struggle for a long time. Many people, it's a long time. And listen, there's pornography on even the most seemingly G-rated television programs now. And it just slams you, you know. Uh, there's, it's everywhere you look today. But I think if, like David, we, we really decide that the thing that's mocking us the most, that we're going to conquer that, it will become a strength to you. You know, Zion means fortress. That can become your fortress. Now, I think if any of you read C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, you remember that guy who was trying to enter the kingdom of heaven and he had that lizard on him that was a demon of lust. And the angel, when he tried to go into heaven with it, the angel stopped and said, you can come, but that thing cannot come in here. And that thing woke up and just started telling him how much fun we've always had. You can't go anywhere without me and all this. And, and the guy was battling over whether should I get rid of this. And finally, the angels kept saying, let me kill it. Let me kill it. And finally, he said, kill it. And it burned him really bad. It hurt. But when the angel threw that dead dragon down or lizard on the uh, ground, it turned into a great stallion that the guy got on and rode into the kingdom. That's how I think your weakness can become your strength in him. Your greatest weakness can become your greatest strength. So believe it, you can be delivered. You've got to have the will though. You've got to have the will and you've got to fight. And it, you know, because it doesn't happen in a week or whatever, something you've been doing for 30 years, it may take a little while, but that will make you stronger. Every time you fight, 
And one thing it says, the righteous fall seven times, but rise yet again. The way the Lord spoke that to me was he said, your falling does not, I am not as uh, upset by your falling as I am appreciating how you get back up and keep fighting. He said that in a relation to a man we were trying to restore. The Lord told me when we took him on, he's going to fall a bunch. The righteous fall seven times. But he said, your falling does not displease me as much as your getting back up and fighting on pleases me. So let's do that. Okay, Lord, help us for any stronghold, anything that's hindering us from walking with you or that is offensive to your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us. We need the helper. We need help. There are things over our head. Lord, all of us had things we're battling. Lord, help us turn every one of them into a fortress, a stronghold of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what? Okay. This lady, whoever she is, <laughs> follows me around and takes the mic. Thank you. I'll let you get out of here. There you go. Just had a couple of things I wanted to share to give you the scriptural context. First one's from Psalm 87, and the last part's from Jude. 1, 24, and 25. So when I get to that, y'all should be able to sing that one with me because it's very short. So, But this one's for you. City, oh city, oh city of God, glorious things are spoken of you. City, oh city, Oh, city of God, glorious things are spoken of you. Such glorious things are spoken of you. City, oh city, oh city of God, Glorious things are spoken of you. Singers and dancers together say, All my springs of joy are in you. Singers and dancers together say, all my springs of joy are in you. All my springs of joy are in you. This one and that one were born in her. All my springs of joy are in you. Such glorious things are spoken of you. City, oh city, 
O city of God, glorious things are spoken of you. Now to him who is able to keep you, this is Jude, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to the only God, our Savior, and to Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time, now and forever. Amen and amen. I know you can sing this. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen and amen. Now to him to keep you, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to the only God, our Savior, and to Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time, now and forever. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen and amen. That means so be it. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen and amen. Oh, you are dismissed. <laughs>